0: This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless. <laughs> this is the Against the World. He had already survived one near-fatal shooting, but he couldn't survive a second. Pro-plagued rapper and actor Tupac Shakur is dead at the age of 25, just about a week after sustaining four
1: bullet wounds last Saturday night in Las Vegas.
0: Police now fear retaliation and worry the crime may never be solved. It's been 27 years since Tupac was killed near the Las Vegas Strip. And as those years passed without an arrest, it seemed like that's how it would stay. But in July, Vegas police suddenly revived the case. Investigators searched the home of the last living suspect. Then, on Friday, officials announced an arrest
1: and an indictment. It has often been said, justice delayed is justice denied. But not in this case.
0: Dwayne Keefe D. Davis was actually an early suspect in the investigation. He said he was in the car the fatal shots were fired from. And recently, he's been telling that story in documentaries and in a book he wrote.
1: You said the shots came from the back. Who shot Tupac? i from the cold of the streets. It just
0: came from the back seat, bro. Today, we're going to be taking a look at what brought this investigation back and why some believe that Tupac's legacy and ties to Black liberation fighters might be a reason why it took so long for police to make an arrest. I'm talking to Santi Elijah Hawley. He's an L.A.-based journalist and the author of An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. Hi, Santi. Welcome to FrontBurner.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. So... I wanted
0: to uh, start by going back to one of the most infamous nights in music history. It's September 7th, 96, in Las Vegas, and Mike Tyson's just taken the WBA uh, heavyweight title. He's knocked out Bruce Seldon in under a couple minutes. He's you can it's always punch, over. And that's it. It's over in the first round. The fight's over. crowd spills out into the lobby of the MGM Grand, and then what happens?
1: And then it's sort of chaotic. I mean... Tupac and his whole entourage, they're feeling great. They're partying. They're excited. Feeling very celebratory. Mike Tyson's a friend of Tupac's, so he's you know just celebrating his, his friend's victory. At this point, though, they they see some people who are rivals. Uh, rivals of the, the Death Row Records entourage. and One person in particular who attempted to rob a Death Row gold medallion chain from one of Tupac's Shudnight's entourage, one of their associates. So Tupac takes it upon himself to go and beat this guy up, to stomp him.
0: And I guess we should point out, this at this point, Tupac is signed to Suge Knight's label, Death Row. Ain't
1: no other record company out there that sold as many records as we did. We
0: outsold Bad Boy, Lefay's, every black record label out there. We outsold them in one year. And I'm a convict. So Tupac went back to his hotel for a bit, but then he left for a nightclub with Suge Knight. Tupac and Suge were driving together in Suge's BMW in a convoy of cars, and then they stop at a stoplight. And what happens
1: at this point, uh, another car pulls up beside them at the red light, a white Cadillac. And there's four people in the car and one person in that car sticks his hand out the window. He's He's holding a gun and he starts blasting into the other car, into the BMW. Tupac gets hit multiple times. Suge Knight gets grazed with a bullet. Suge Knight manages to pull the car away. It's pandemonium. And then Suge crashes the BMW. You know, he's got blown out tires. He's, bleeding, sh- Tupac is bleeding.
0: I'm driving, telling him I'm going to get to the hospital, kicked back. Pac looked at me and said, you know what? You need the doctor more than me. You're the one shot in your head. And we laughed the whole time going to find out I went to the hospital. That's the conversation we had. It wasn't, Pac was a man the whole time. It wasn't that he was like, oh, I'm shot. He cracking jokes. He like, yeah, they shot me. He said, but you
1: shot in your head. Look at you." Tupac eventually gets rushed to yeah, emergency room at the hospital. Mm-hmm. He's put into a medically induced coma. He's in and out of consciousness. You know, organs are failing, and eventually, six days later, he's taken off life support and you know, pronounced dead September thirteenth. Mm-hmm.
0: And and the police investigated this, and there, there were there were a ton of witnesses too, right? And I want to get to the the most recent developments in this investigation a little later, but for now, can you take me through just in broad strokes what happened right after the shooting? What kind of progress did the police make? With the investigation initially.
1: Yeah, you know, they Las Vegas police and also working with other police departments claimed that they really had no leads. They had no cooperation from witnesses. I mean, obviously the a lot of witnesses, a lot of people involved, had their own reasons for not cooperating with police. That's just who they were. They just didn't trust the police and just didn't want to be seen as ratting anybody out or snitching. But there were many other witnesses. It wasn't just you know, gang-affiliated people who were there who didn't want to talk to police. There was other witnesses around in the car behind Tupac and Shug's car, camera footage. The investigation really didn't go anywhere. They talked to very few witnesses. They knew that Tupac was involved in this very public beatdown of this guy, but they still just did not really make any arrests or sort of follow that, you know, that lead.
0: He sits there for a long time, untouched. And before we get to the, the recent developments, I guess I, I was hoping you could take us back into the legacy Tupac was part of before he was killed, because in addition to the world losing a major hip-hop star, at a deeper level, he was also the scion of this really interesting family he was, you know, there are major players in the Black Power movement. And I think it's important to understand that because part of the reason a lot of people feel like Tupac never got a fair shake from law enforcement, including this decades-long murder investigation was because of that. So who who were Tupac's family? Who were the Shakurs?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's really important to keep in mind. Tupac was, a lot of people just think of him as a gangster rapper or he's an actor, you know, he's an entertainer. Uh, he came from a family who were very involved in Black liberation from the 60s into the 70s and on into the 80s. Uh, his mother, Afeni, was an influential Black Panther in uh, New York in the late 60s.
0: My mother was a Black Panther. And she was really involved in the movement you know just black people bettering themselves and things like that my
1: mother took actually it's like she actually did take me through life you know when i would go his stepfather matulu was a leader and organizer in the 70s and people around him around him and his family raised him with stories of black liberation black self-determination they told him stories about uh, the FBI's COINTELPRO program and, yeah. and government repression and government infiltration and police violence and black power. So when he grew up, he was expected, his mother expected him to sort of continue that tradition, mm-hmm. to use what he had grown up with and to sort of teach a new generation uh, about these, you know, influential, powerful stories and also sort of like kick off the black power movement again. Right when he even went off into to hip hop into rap I mean, rap music was still kind of a new genre and he was really, he was good at it you know he was talented uh he loved hip hop and he thought he he was going to use hip hop to reach people he was going to use this medium to reach his peers what the rap
0: audience ain't ready for is a real person i'm coming out I'm 100% real i ain't compromising
1: nathan anybody that talk... his early lyrics were about the black Panthers all with the knowledge of the place keeping. no one will ever this race again X my history text Why's that he tried to and all Why's about political prisoners police harassment got me trapped, can the city so he really thought that he could combine these two things to sort of carry on this 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 message
0: no it's interesting too because I think Panthers were part of some high-profile violent incidents. And sometimes that gets used to label them or dismiss them as terrorists. But the the goals of the Black Panthers and of Tupac's relatives were about something grander than that, right?
1: Yeah. And again, it's sort of the same arguments against uh, Tupac that was used against the Black Panthers, just saying it's all violence and they're all just glorifying violence and, and weapons. But really, no, that was you know self-defense was one, one small part of who the Black Panthers were. They were about feeding the community, feeding hungry school children, um, providing health care to the community, free healthcare, organizing tenants uh, against exploitative landlords. A lot of times people today just sort of see those pictures of them holding guns and thinking, oh, they're just talking about mm-hmm. violence and but really like what they were doing sort of when the cameras weren't around was providing sickle cell anemia testing. Mm-hmm. You know, Tupac knew that there's much more to the the Black Panthers than people were being taught if, if being taught at all about what they were doing.
0: One of the really compelling things about Tupac was that he always seemed to be straddling two worlds or multiple worlds. He had a really hard childhood, serious grinding poverty. His mom eventually struggled with drug addiction, but then he also attended a high school for the arts where he did ballet and wrote poetry. And later he called himself a nerd. So this is a guy with a lot of dimensions, what is it that you find original and powerful
1: about the messages in his music? It's just wild, you know, like I I was a Tupac fan back when he was still alive, so in the in the nineties. And when I was listening to him as a way that a lot of people listen to him, it's just like, you know, just just bump it at the party. He just seems like he's just this wild, you know, dude who just says whatever he wants and does whatever he wants. Out of a bell,
0: fresh out of jail, California dreaming. Soon as I step on the scene, screaming, for money and
1: alcohol... Later, you know, later as I got older and I started, you know, sort of becoming more involved with social justice and racial justice issues and, and I became a writer and journalist and I was sort of exploring these things and I came back to Tupac because I was old enough and sort of mature enough to now recognize what he was talking about back in those days. He was beyond yeah. what a lot of us were even thinking about at the time or talking about. The only time we chill is when we kill each other It takes guilt when we real time to heal each other And though it seems heaven sick We ain't right oh, to see a black president uh, It ain't a secret or no concealed A fact of penitentiary fact if we don't we'll have
0: a race of that hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one he has no right to tell a
1: woman when to create one. you know I think why people are today like myself and others are are finding their way back to tupac or at least have never really left I mean're just like he's still gaining new fans today and yeah is because he really did speak from the heart and he w- he had his own faults but he really spoke to this theme that has been running, you know, from his parents' day and the, from the Black Panthers' days in the '60s and '70s, and to today, I mean, we're still facing the same issues, mm-hmm. and that's why it feels like it's always very prescient, even to today's, because it just feels like this timeless thing that we're just going through over and over again. But we don't really have people like him who knew what they were talking about, but were able to speak to us directly, like as as equals, as peers.
0: It's a bit of an aside, but coming in on the train today, I was listening to um, the track "Mortal Man" on. Kendrick Lamar's "To Pimp a Butterfly. And there's a a really interesting part at the end where he's, like, spliced in an original interview with Tupac from way back in the day, and then it makes it sound like he's actually talking to Tupac.
1: Would you consider yourself a a fighter at heart or somebody that that only reacts when they back us against the wall?
0: I like to think that at every opportunity I've ever been uh, threatened... With resistance, it's been met with resistance.
1: And not only me...
0: It's so interesting to see that kind of acknowledgement. There's definitely that legacy that he's picked up on, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think more than anything with Kendrick, I think what he's addressing on that track is struggling with having this new sort of huge platform, people listening to you, and you you are now sort of in the spotlight, but you have a lot of your own mental health issues to deal with. Mm People are looking to you for answers, you know, the same way that they were with Tupac and now, you know, with Kendrick, and not really knowing how to deal with this new sort of responsibility. Hi, I'm Willa Haskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.
0: One of the things that interests me, too, is that Tupac really struggled to project a sense of street cred, right? Like, he got called a fake thug, a fake gangster by other rappers. This idea, he kind of wasn't hard enough for the stuff he rapped about. But then, you know, he did get involved in a bunch of violent incidents he shot a couple of uh, off-duty cops in atlanta
1: rapper tupac secure appeared in municipal court this morning after his attorney entered a plea of not guilty to two counts of aggravated assault in connection to the shooting of two
0: off-duty and those charges were dropped because they had been drinking and one of them was using a gun from a drug bust and he was also convicted of sexual assault uh, he spent almost a year in prison according to the criminal complaint on november 18th at the parker meridian hotel The rap star and three friends took turns forcing the woman to engage in oral sex. Prosecutors told Judge George Roberts that the woman accusing Shakur has been receiving "drop the case or else" threats. It's a fact. So he did take part in hard things. He was a violent guy, and that violence complicates his legacy. I guess I've always been curious why he fell into that.
1: I don't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily. He was say he was a violent person. He was. I mean, like I said, he was a traumatized person. He was flawed. Mm -hmm. He was really, really hot-tempered. He found himself at the center of a lot of violent incidents. Mm -hmm. You know, he would just get into fights with people uh, unprovoked. But I don't think that complicates his legacy because he was a complicated person and he admits to it. You know, he admitted to being, you know, flawed. Like, he was not a a perfect uh, spokesperson, perfect role model by any means.
0: Instead of a role model, I want to be a real model. What I want you to do is to listen. And I'm telling you, in my album, in the movie, um, in this interview, hopefully, I show people mistakes I made, and then they don't have to make that same mistake. About me being,
1: you know, real- that's part of his conflict in trying to just be himself and be a young man. I mean, he was he was young, yeah. and he was still dealing with a lot of family issues and family trauma. And all of a sudden, now he's you know starring in movies with Janet Jackson.
0: What's
1: your name? Lucky. Lucky and he's touring the world and making money and he's like on, co- on the cover of magazines. Like you said, so yeah, so going back to him not, you know, not not having that background of being like a hard person, you know, he always was sort of overcompensating for that. You know, he really wanted to show that he was a tough guy, that he could hang, that he could, you know, roll with anybody. He knew he couldn't, he was, I mean, he was at his heart, you know, he was an actor. So he was sort of playing this role of of being a tough guy. Yeah. Uh, because that's what he looked up to. That's what he like really wanted to have the support from, he also wanted their protection, but a lot of times he would just act like make knee jerk reactions because he was just, he just felt like he had to prove himself.
0: So Tupac was shot five times in a Manhattan studio in 1994 and he survived. And this kind of set the stage for the East coast, West coast rivalry. Something led to his murder. And he eventually came to believe that his friend, Biggie, the notorious B.I.G. betrayed him. But as you said, Tupac didn't survive the shooting in 96 in Las Vegas, and no arrests were ever made. But then, this July, police in Las Vegas suddenly executed a search warrant for a home connected to a guy named Dwayne Davis, who goes by the handle Keefy D. So, who's Keefy D?
1: He was affiliated with the Southside Crips in Compton, Los Angeles. He and everybody in the car that night were associated, affiliated with the Southside Crips, who had a rivalry with death row and death row associates because they were the death row security team and other people that revolved with them were a member of mob Pyru Bloods so it was just sort of a you know a gang rivalry that spilled over into Las Vegas that night you know they were there to watch the fight too like and they just got caught they, you know their paths just crossed with Tupac and Shu in them
0: so why do you think they're going after Keefe D now
1: I mean to go back a little bit Dwayne Davis is the only person still alive who was in the White Cadillac and for years, and this is this is why it's, a lot of people are now really like uh, mystified about why this arrest happened. Now is because Dwayne Davis has been saying for years that he was in the car, that he was the one that called the shots, that passed the gun to the shooter. He's been mm-hmm. saying this for years. He's he's said this in podcasts. He said this on YouTube interviews. He wrote he wrote a book. He wrote a memoir in 2019 saying I was in the car. This is what happened. I passed the gun to the guy. You know, in the back seat. Seen all the on the news. Like damn, I got away.
0: That was Dwayne Keefe Davis's reaction after Tupac's murder, recounted during a podcast.
1: Davis, who now calls Henderson home, had his house raided by Metro back in July and was arrested on Friday. So a lot of us are just a little curious, you know, a little uh, wondering why not until July of this year did Las Vegas police say, you know, now's the time. we got to go in there and collect some evidence. Like uh, They collected some magazines and some c- c- computer hard drives, some photographs, some bullet casings, just random stuff that they ha- he had in the house.
0: So now that Keefy D is charged with murder, investigators aren't calling him the shooter, but instead they're calling him the shot caller.
1: You said in the book, at this point in my life, I can say that I have a deep sense of remorse for what happened to Tupac. However, I stand firm on the point that Tupac, Suge Knight, and the rest of those dudes didn't have any business putting their hands on my beloved nephew, baby lane, period. Then jumping on my nephew gave us the ultimate green light to do something to their ass. Exactly.
0: But this took so long. Like you mentioned, police said that witnesses didn't cooperate. Is there something else you'd point to that can explain why it took so long? Yeah.
1: And this is, I don't know. This is just my personal opinion, which also I happen to share with a lot of people who have been following this case and who are longtime Tupac fans. And I believe, and many other people believe, that the Las Vegas police really never took this investigation seriously, took this murder investigation seriously because of who Tupac was, because Tupac was always a very vocal critic of police, just policing Mm -hmm. in general, crooked police especially, and just crooked court system and he really i mean in his music and in his interviews just who he was by being a Shakur and by being the son of these people who also were very critical of policing i think it wasn't high on their list especially when they just wrote it off as being some gang violence that really is not yeah. a priority to them you know that's i mean that's that's all speculative but it also is i don't know how else to explain why you know 27 years have gone on with no arrests or leads when you know, it's a murder. You know, like this—a mur- mm. murder of a very high-profile entertainer. You know, this would normally just get high priority. Just, you know, this would this should have been wrapped up years ago, or at least have arrests, have a couple trials. You know, at least show, something, make some attempt. I mean, there's there's various conspiracies that you know for years people are going to come up with their own theories about who was involved, mm. who was behind it, who was covering it up. Was Suge involved? Was the, were the police implicated? I think I you know in my opinion I just think they just never really took it seriously. It's it should not have taken even half this long.
0: And and I should probably underscore that Kifidi hasn't been found guilty of these charges yet, but if there are eventual convictions in this case, what do you think that would mean for Tupac's family? They've they've waited so long for some form of justice.
1: Yeah, and really it's what's what's heartbreaking is that Sparks' mother Faini died in 2016 without seeing any any closure uh Mutulu Shakur died this just this year in July without seeing any closure. Tupac's brother Moprim, and his sister Setua, they are hopeful, you know, as we all are, that there will actually be a conviction, but also skeptical like I am, that there will be a conviction, but also just this isn't really, it doesn't feel like justice. It feels like justice would be to know why it took so long. This information has been out there. What took so long? It's a type of victory, you know, um, it's bittersweet still. Stay tuned. I miss my brother. So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm i glad something's happening. You know, those answers would help more than just a, you know, Keefe D being sent to prison would be all, you know, it's all fine and well, but it's he's been allowed to be free all this time and, you know, give interviews and just live his life quietly. So, yeah, definitely kind of want more than just a, a conviction. We want actually some, you know, some better answers.
0: In terms of legacy, Tupac's legacy, these conversations he brought into the mainstream in those you know, relatively early days of hip-hop, things like police brutality, economic inequality, institutionalized racism... How do you think we'll see them continue today?
1: You know, Tupac was unique uh, as an entertainer because of his background, because of his you know knowledge and his passion and the things that he was talking about. And it's hard to think that we'll ever have anybody like him again because all the factors that were really involved with creating somebody like Tupac, I mean, just the person he was and his, his history. And I think that's why, you know, his legacy, I mean, there's still books being written about him and published about him. There's, you know, there's still documentaries being made about him. You know, he just this year received his Hollywood Walk of Fame star. There's a museum exhibit, you know, that was made dedicated to him here in LA. It's it's because he's he's more than just an people who know him, you know, or, or at least know his work, know recognize that he's more than just an entertainer. Like he actually really spoke to for a lot of us. He, he spoke for us who you know grew up poor or who you know, grew up underprivileged, people who struggled with, you know, personal trauma, mental health issues, people just, he spoke to like a lot of our just sort of deeper just needs and wants and desires. And, you know, also just our aspirations. So all this thing, like, I feel like even with his murder, his murder was so heartbreaking at the times. It's felt yeah. like such a bad, su- such a, such a, we lost more than just him. Just, we, we expected so much more from him. Mm-hmm. But in the years that have come and just to see that people still embrace him and still find their way to him, you know, it's very it's very heartening because it sort of shows that it wasn't just a flash in the pan kind of, you know, it died with him, like his message and his his work lives on. So even regardless of the conviction, uh, what happens with this, even, you know, all these years that there was no arrests and no real movement, that didn't really change what he meant to, to us, you know, and it it won't continue, you know, it won't make any, any difference. Like his legacy is his legacy, regardless of, you know, who gets put behind bars, you know, that is sort of, that's sort of inconsequential to, to his work and his legacy.
0: Thank you so much. Santi, it's been great talking to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All
0: right. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Front Burner. I'm Damon Fairless and I'll talk to you tomorrow. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.